0: Today, I have a chance to kind of lay a bit of um, what I hope is a bit of vision for you individually as we think about this new year, beginning a new year, and we think about what it means for us to be a church in the new year, as well as kind of more individually than that, for you individually. Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested late last year on fraud charges for deceiving investors in his cryptocurrency company. A lot of you guys uh, probably followed that news story a little bit. Uh, I don't know the details all that well, but from the big picture of what I understand, uh, he had set up a, a cryptocurrency exchange of some sorts or, or some, some business in the world of cryptocurrency, and, in, and he had sold it to investors as a sure bet. And he had raised unbelievable amounts of money. I mean, there were billions of dollars invested in this thing. Um, and along the, he, he ended up having a net worth of $15 billion at some point, this individual, So this was a huge business. He was getting tons of money from professional athletes, from all these kind of people around the globe. And everywhere he went, whenever he was getting investors to buy into this thing, he told them, it's a sure bet. (laughs) This is where you want to invest your money, okay? And then one day, uh, one of the investors started looking in the books. From what I understand, this is how this whole thing started. One of the investors started asking a few questions and looking behind the books, and he realized that this whole thing was nothing more than a scam. It it, it was a scam. It didn't didn't have the the investment quality that he had sold it as. It wasn't worth nearly what he said it was, and it was being run improperly, and it was a scam. And that one investor pulled a lot of money out, and that began essentially a run on the bank, where all the other investors got spooked, realizing that this wasn't what it was. They all started pulling their money out. This individual, when he was arrested, uh, it, it was said that, he had lost personally $14 billion. $14 billion he lost personally. Still to this day, we don't know all the details of what's going on. The charges are still being brought. Billions of dollars were lost by investors, and still there's nearly $2 billion unaccounted for. What was a sure bet turns out to be a complete scam. Life is full of investments, and not just when it comes to money. Certainly money is a topic we could talk about, and frankly we should at some point. It's been a long time since I preached a full sermon on, on stewarding God's gift of finances. But that's not what today is about. Life is full of investment choices. Where are you going to invest your time? How are you going to invest your time? There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so, only so many hours in a week. And, and if you're like me, you're a busy individual. You've got a job to do. I've got children to raise. I, I have a wife. I, I have relationships. I have hobbies. And at the end of the day, every one of us has limited time to decide where am I going to invest my time that it counts? How am I going to invest my time so that it counts, so that it reaps dividends in my life? And, and so that it sows the kind of investment future that I want for my life and for my family's life. And just like with Sam Bankman Freed, there, there's... There's a lot of places that are calling for your investment of time in this world that are nothing but scams. They're nothing but, but shells on the outside, completely hollow on the inside, and they're set up that way specifically by the evil one. They're selling you, on, and this is a sure bet. Invest your time in this way. Spend more time here, less time here, and if you do that, you will get all the world says you can have. Seems like a sure bet. But when you play that game long enough, eventually the cards fall down and you realize what it was the whole time. It was a scam and you wasted your time. You wasted your energy. I look back on my life and and I think of how many hours I have wasted on my life pursuing things that were completely empty. And if you're like me, I know you can think of some on your own. Today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And what I'm, what I'd like this text to do is is help us lay a little bit of a track for us. I've tried to structure the, today's message as as both as simple and as practical as I possibly can. This is far more practical sermon than I normally give. I'm going to have very practical advice all along, and I'm hoping that that'll serve for you individually to kind of get this year in order. Uh, we, we're a, a people that it, it's good to have times to reflect. Am I doing this right? Have I invested in the right way? Where can I change things to invest better? And I think this is as good a time as I need to do that. So out of today's text, what I'm going to do is look at how God calls us to invest our time. Our text is broken out for us really nicely, actually. You'll see that as we go through, there's actually three statements that begin with the phrase, let us. I'll read through the whole passage in a moment. You'll see it says, let us, let us, let us. Those are our three investment strategies for today. So I'm going to show you three investment strategies for how we should invest our time. And the big idea is very simple. Don't waste your life. If you walk away with anything today, don't waste your life. It's far too precious. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's the first one, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's a second one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here's the final one. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Simple passage, but meaningful for us today. It's broken into two sections, and first we're going to get to the premise. In the first few verses, verses 19 through 21, we see the word since used twice. He says the first one, he says in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and then verse 21, since we have a great high priest or great priest over the house of God. So he's establishing a premise Since these things are true, then, since that's true of you, here's how you ought to respond. Here's how you ought to live. Here's how you ought to invest your time. Here's what ought to be true of you so that you don't waste the premise. Make sense? Two things he begins in his premise. Since we have confidence and since we have a high priest. Now, this language of having a priest and entering the holy place might be familiar for a number of you. This is the kind of language we've engaged with many times in this church as we've studied the Bible. But I want to walk through it with enough depth so that everybody can kind of grasp where he's going with this. Because I think he's getting at the heart of the good news of what Christianity is all about. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament uh, God was found in a particular place. That was how you found God. It was in a temple in Jerusalem. God, of course, there were ways that God's always everywhere. He's not only limited to one place, but there was one place in the entire world, one people in the entire world that God had said, I'm going to live and dwell among you. And particularly, I'm going to let my glory be in the center of one particular building. It was in the temple that was in Jerusalem. You can go through the ruins of that building today. If you travel to Jerusalem, many of you have taken trips to Jerusalem And in the Old Testament, the question the Old Testament's trying to answer as you go through all those laws and all those sacrifices, they're trying to answer one question. How can a sinful people be in relationship with a holy God? That's the entire Old Testament. In fact, that's the entire Bible in a nutshell. How can a group of people who have knowingly committed all sorts of rebellion against God from little things like just not being grateful for the ways that God's reached out to you To great things like committing sin, holding anger in your heart, to murder and theft. How can a a sinful people be in relationship with the Holy God? Well, there's only one answer to that. One. And it's simply by God's mercy. That's it. It's by God's mercy that he looks down on us. And from beginning of the Old Testament all the way through end of the New Testament, one message, if you want relationship with God, it's dependent on one thing. Him having incredible mercy towards each of us who are sinful, who've rebelled from God's design for us. Now, in the Old Testament, what God did is he set up a system for us. that said, look, here's my mercy. Here's how this is gonna play out. Here's mercy in a physical form for you. There's a sacrificial system that's gonna get set up. Now, why was a sacrificial system of animals being sacrificed over and over needed in those days? Well, because in God's economy, the consequences of sin is death. And so in the Old Testament, what they did is they set up this complex and intricate sacrificial system where they had priests and they had altars and, and a priest would take a, a lamb or a bull or an ox and he'd, he'd, he'd kill the ox or he'd kill the lamb and he'd take the blood as a sacrifice and he'd pour it on an altar. Now in our day, in the modern church, we look at that and we think, how old-fashioned? How, uh, how almost uh, archaic could that have been? when we think that, it's because we don't fully understand the economy of God. When you understand the holiness of God, and you've taken the time to reflect on the depth of your own sin, these two things must be reflected on by every individual at some point. The utter holiness and transcendence of God. He's perfect. He's creator. He's sustainer. Right now, Hebrews 1 says, he's sustaining the universe as we speak. The old the time preachers used to Used to describe it this way that he's, he's holding us up by, by his fingers like this. And if at any point he so chose, the whole thing could just dissolve everything. It's his sustaining power that holds it. And that transcending God has chosen to be in relationship with the people who are in constant rebellion to him. And in God's economy, the only way that can happen is for the consequences of the sin to be fully paid for. And that's through death, because the consequences of sin is death. And so this complex sacrificial system was established, and a priest would go in, and on one particular day, as we see in the book of Leviticus, it was called the Day of Atonement. One particular day, the high priest would take a very special offering into the most inner sanctuary of the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies. It was one particular room cut off by curtains, and only one person could go in there one time a year. That's how holy of a place this was. And it was a terrifying ordeal. In fact, the, the, the Jews of the Old Testament, they tell stories that at one point, one of their priests died when he had gone in there. And ever since then, they used to, they used to tie a rope around that priest's ankle once a year when he'd go in to make that annual sacrifice for, this, for the sins of the people. they tie a rope around as like just in case when he was in the presence of God in that inner sanctuary, in that holy of holies, he died in the presence of God so the others could pull him out with having go, without having to go in there. They also used to say in, in traditional rabbinic literature, They say that when the high priest came out every year and he didn't die, he'd celebrate. He'd put his hands up and he'd just, thank you, God, and everyone would celebrate with him. Okay, let's get on with our business, you're alive. Now, there's something terrifying that that should be about our relationship with God. And you don't hear preachers say that that often, but I think it's worthy for us to reflect on this for a moment. God is not a game. And Christianity is not something to be joked around with. And I fear oftentimes when I look at the state of the church in the modern Western culture that we live in, that too often we treat God as if he's some kind of Santa Claus, some kind of caricature, or some kind of cartoon character that we just you know, have, a, have a good time with. And when we do that, we lose the sanctity of it all, the holiness of it all. God is not to be trifled with. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were real. They were required. And if they didn't do them, there were consequences for them. I heard a a preacher say recently, he said, People in heaven and people in hell have one thing in common. Both of them are saying, I don't deserve this. Think about that for a second. The people in hell are are, are sitting there saying, I don't deserve this. I've been a good person. I wasn't bad enough to deserve hell. People in heaven are on the other side saying, I don't deserve this. I, I know I was bad enough to deserve hell but it's by sheer mercy, by God's sheer mercy on my life that I'm not in the other place. You see, that's the the fabric of a Christian. It's someone who's looked at the awesome power and reality of a God who has shown mercy towards us and has said, I don't deserve this mercy you've shown. So, when Hebrews chapter 10 begins this and says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he's going back to that time when the high priest did not have a confidence, that they had fear to enter into the holy of holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, the New Testament says that the curtain that held the holy of holies up, that curtain was torn in two. That was a huge curtain. It was nearly as big as this room. And it was thick. And it was torn in two. And that was a way of God saying the most intimate space of relationship with the holy God has been made open to everyone. Not just on one day a year, by one priest with the blood of a bull. But at all times, by anyone who receives his mercy by faith, you have full access to God. And you don't need a rope around your leg for fear that he's going to remove that that at any given time. You go with boldness to the throne of grace. Why? Because you have a high priest who's perfect. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who knew no sin. Jesus Christ is a high priest of an entire new covenant. And he brought perfect blood. The blood of Jesus on the cross That blood was the perfect sacrifice that was shed to perfectly satisfy all the wrath that is due each of you and and myself as well for our sin. So now we have a confidence. Now, what does this mean? When we go to God, we recognize his holiness. We recognize our rebellion to God. And we say it's by sheer mercy that now I, me, can enter I've been invited into the holy of holies. The place where the glory of God dwells. A relationship with the supreme author of all creation who desires to know me intimately, to steer me through life. What mercy is this? And we enter into it boldly with a confidence. A confidence that says, I would want nothing more for my life than to live in that place all the time. And that's the, that's the aim of my life is to now rejoice and keep walking in that path because if that's who God is, then I want more of it. That's the gospel, that's the good news. And can I just say this? This is what makes the gospel and what makes Christianity fundamentally different from every other religion in the world. Every other religion. I'll never forget, I've shared this story before at some point. I was talking to a, a young Muslim downtown and we were, I, I like to go downtown in the warmer months especially and evangelize and I, I was having a great conversation with a young Muslim man. And I was asking him, how how are you saved? How do you get right with God? And he said, well, you know, essentially his answer was we have to earn favor with God by doing certain things. And I asked him, I said, how do you know if you've done enough? He said, well, you can't know if you've done enough. I said, isn't that scary? Isn't that frightening to you? He goes, well, I have time. I said, you think you have time. I said, but you don't know what today brings. God forbid anything should happen to you today. I don't want anything to happen. But what if you get hit by a bus today? He goes, I said, what's your plan? He said, here's what I hope. He goes, I hope if I see death coming, that that before I die, I'll, I'll I'll be able to plant a tree. This was honestly what he said. He said, hopefully I have enough time to plant a tree. And in planting that tree, I'll earn just enough favor to push me over the edge with God and he'll receive me into heaven. Can I tell you, a lot of even Christians are going through life with a similar mentality and they don't get what Hebrews 10 is saying. A lot of people who take the name of Christian are going through life just hoping that at some point before they die, they're gonna get their act together, they're gonna plant enough trees and God's gonna be pleased with them. That's not the gospel. In fact, that's not good news at all. See, the gospel says that you could never do enough, but Jesus has done enough for you, and it's a free gift of grace that you receive, and then here's what you get to do. Just walk with confidence in it. Jesus, I receive your free gift of grace by faith, and now I enter into the Holy of Holies, a relationship with you, and it's not how much I can do, it's what you've done for me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, it says, since this is true, if you believe this, Christian, if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've repented of sin, doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're on a new path and you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Now, what ought your life ought to look like? What, where ought you be investing your time so that it pays dividends in your life? That's the gospel. And then he lays out three investments. Now let's go through all three of these. First, again, these are not complicated. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. Investment strategy number one. Where are you going to invest your time? Invest your time in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know, it's it's almost so simple that it's silly. Invest your time in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Here's the first let us statement. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, let us draw near. What's that language of? Well, to draw near, you know what that means, but think about this for a second. Let us us approach Jesus. If the Holy of Holies has been made open, it's saying, look, don't stand at a non intimate place with God. Don't go through all of life in, in a space of knowing about God from an arm's length distance. And what that means is don't just come to church on a Sunday and take the title Christian like like many Christians in America do. That's to keep God here. But what the invitation is is to draw near, to enter in and to enjoy the reality of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you, to to draw near and to approach him. And how do we do this? With full assurance. Now that language has been theologically um, discussed. What does it mean to have a full assurance? And I think there's kind of two layers to this. First of all, On the one hand, there's a full assurance that comes the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You never need to wonder where your eternal destiny is ever again. You never need to know if you planted enough trees or if you said enough prayers. If you truly made Jesus Lord of your life, you can have 100% confidence. I know where I'm headed. I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into his family and he'll never let me go. The doctrine's called the perseverance of the saints. It means that once you're saved, you will never be let go. He will hold on to you to the end. Philippians chapter one, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. But there's this other language of assurance of faith that's been used by theologians over the years. And I think it's it's something special. There comes a point in a Christian's life where you've been walking with Christ and it, and it doesn't happen, it's not necessarily after many years. For some it happens earlier, some happens much later, some it happens right away. But there comes a point where Where coming to Christ and and praying and, and entering into that holy space is not a burden, is not a responsibility, but is a great joy. And that's the space I want to bring us into. There, there comes a time where you've, and I can tell you this, for me, I've sensed my, my own personal walk with Jesus kind of, kind of on waves. I, I've seen it, you know, over, over time, it's kind of like the stock market. You're, you're like It kind of goes up and down, up and down, but on the whole, it's going up and to the right, right? You see this intimacy growing with the Lord. But I can tell you, there, there was an early fervor for the Lord I had when I first came to Jesus in college, an early fervor, and then there was a bit of a tapering, and then there's been seasons where it's kind of gone up, and then it gone up a little bit. And I'll never forget a while ago where, where there was a, a new fresh season in my life. Where there was an assurance that was unique and different from anything I'd experienced before. Where there was a hunger that has not faded. And the only thing I can, I can, I can bring this to is not to say, not, this is not to say I'm certain holy or something like that. It's nothing like that. It's just to say when you've been walking with Jesus for a while. There comes a place where you have seen his goodness in your life on repeat enough times that you are just hungry to experience that more and more and in more intimate ways. And the longer you walk with Jesus and the more you commit yourself to the right investment strategies, walking firmly with Christ, the more you see his goodness over and over. And the more you just say, why would I want anything else? Why would I settle for that which is less than what God's offering me here? He says, having, spring, "Having being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience." What's a conscience? You know, that language, we, you know, we have this Pinocchio idea of a conscience. It's this thing inside you that says what's right and wrong. And it's frankly not too far off from what the Bible says your conscience is. Inside every single human being, whatever your religion was, or even if you're in this room today and you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, God has made you in the image of God. There's something about the fabric of who you are, your nature, that has the imprint of God's law on your heart. It's called the natural law. You can't escape it. Internally, you know right and wrong. And that's why when you do something wrong, you know you've done something wrong. Even if no one's ever told you it was wrong before, you know it was wrong. And there's times where you you have a heavy conscience. There's something about your heart that's egging you on, that's nagging at you, and you can't escape it until you have to do something about it because it'll just haunt you if you don't. That internal conscience is placed there by God. And the standard of that The written standard where we weigh what is right and wrong is the Ten Commandments. That's the the, the Decalogue, as it's called, is the standard of right and wrong. The moral law is summarized in its most concrete form in the Ten Commandments. So whenever you break one of the Ten Commandments, you know it. You have a a guilty conscience. Think of it. When you break the the Sixth Commandment, do not kill. Obviously, if you murder someone, you're going to have a heavy heart. But Jesus expanded that, and he taught what that law really meant. He said, look, when when you look at a brother with anger in your heart, you you know at that point you've already broken that command. Anytime you've looked at someone with anger in your heart, you already know internally you've broken the heart of the sixth commandment to not kill. Because you're looking at somebody with murder in your heart. And so when you look at somebody with anger in your heart, you've done this, I've done this. You walk away from the experience, and you're angry at them. But internally, there's that little bit inside of you that's like, shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have exploded like that. I, sh- I shouldn't have responded that way. I could have been more gentle. Why did I succumb to the way that they were responding to me? You know, you know that feeling? I know that feeling. And what is that? It's the imago Dei inside of you, the image of God inside of you. It's God's natural law woven into your conscience. Jesus says you've been sprinkled clean. Even in all your fallenness, he sprinkled you clean. We saw this lived out in real time last week. I was watching that Monday night football game. Bills, Bengals. I was at my father-in-law's place and, and he's a huge Bengals fan. We were watching Monday Night Football when DeMar Hamlin had a heart attack right on the field. How many of you were, you, many of you were watching that live or have seen the clip of what happened? He had a heart attack on the field. Something that I don't think has ever happened like that in the NFL before, especially on Monday Night Football with the whole world watching, so to speak. What happened in that tragic moment? Where did everybody turn in that moment? To God. It was one of the most remarkable things. That, that stadium was a house of prayer for an hour and a half. You saw the entire Bills team on their knee praying to God. You saw men holding their, their chest pads like this, just walking, praying like this. Men who, I, maybe they do have deep relationships with God, but I'm guessing a number of the ones that were praying on that day don't have intimate relationships with God. But where do they turn in their moment of need? God. Entire stadium. I saw one whole section, one man turned around and led the entire section of the stadium in prayer. And everyone was praying with him. ESPN commentators stopping what they were doing, taking entire 60 seconds on ESPN to actually just pray to God right there. Even people who weren't Christians on TV, just dumbstruck saying, I don't know what to do. We just have to pray. Why? Because the first commandment's written on everyone's heart. There is one God, and he reigns over everyone. And you can't escape it. You can run from it. You can shield yourself from it. You can do everything you can to convince yourself it's not true. But I'll tell you what, there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? That's the old phrase. And when you need it, when you don't know where to turn, something inside of you says, I know where I got to go. And we saw it play out in real time in front of us on TV. Monday night football of all places. Let me ask you this. Do you have a clean conscience? Start of a new year. The sweet thing about the gospel is that Jesus invites you. This is the first investment. Invest in your relationship with Jesus. He invites you over and over into the space of intimacy where you realize, and it's this full assurance thing, where every time you recognize, I have a guilty conscience, I've broken, I've I've done that wrong, and I'm with you. I get that regularly. I've done this wrong. My my, My conscience is heavy. He says, run to me. Come back. I paid it all on the cross. It's, you're, you, you can have full assurance. I'm not holding that against you, but run to me. Experience what it's like to have you sprinkled clean with a pure conscience, running to Christ over and over and oh, It's good. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, how do you do that practically? It's one thing to say, okay, draw near to Jesus. How, how do you do that practically? Let me give you two easy ways. And actually, I have a printout for you here that you can grab today on your way out. One is this, I, honestly, in a room this size with this many people, some of you likely have never actually received Jesus Christ. And, and the first thing you need to do right now is actually believe in Jesus. Because in America, there's this thing called American Christianity, which is not the gospel, and it's not Christianity, and that's just take the title Christian, check Christian off the next time, you, you know, fill out your, you know, your, your pamphlet that comes of what your religion is, and come to church occasionally. And if that's your definition of a Christian, you're not a Christian, Okay, and what you need to do is actually repent and trust in Christ, and and for the first time enter into that sweet space. And I invite you to do that today. Why not? Beginning of a new year, believe in Jesus. Stop running away from. Stop running towards nominal Christianity. Invest in the real thing. And for others of you, maybe you've been plateaued in your faith for a long time. One of the most important things you can do in your life as a Christian is develop a daily rhythm of time with God. It, it's it's required. And and, and I don't want you to cheat yourself or short-circuit this thing. One One of the questions I ask every single person whenever I meet with them as a pastor, and you guys know this if you met with me, I always ask, how's your time with the Lord? And I get a lot of different answers. What we need every day is time in God's Word. That's the Bible. Reading the Bible. Not someone else's opinion of the Bible. Those are good. There's many good devotionals out there. But those are the cherry on top. Okay, We need the meal first. Okay? We need to read the Bible for ourselves, And then we need intimate time of prayer every day. I use a Bible reading plan called the M. Shane Bible reading plan. It's a classic written by a Puritan. I have it printed off over there at the guest services table. I've got about 100 copies over there. Grab it on your way out. You can be on the same Bible reading plan as me. It's four chapters a day. It gets through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice and the book of Psalms twice in a given year. It's great. And every day I get that intake of God's word into my life. And when you read the Bible daily, what's happening is it's forming pathways in your heart and in your mind where you're regularly getting God's word speaking to you. That's how that intimacy gets developed. If you don't have an intimacy with the Word of God, then how is God speaking to you? He's not. You're, you're, you're just dry. You need that regular intake deep in your devotional life this year. First, draw near to Christ. Second, invest in the renewal of your mind. Invest in the renewal of your mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast, let us, there it is again, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. faithful. Let us hold fast. What's the image here? That language, it, is, it can be used of someone who's holding to the side of a ship as the ship's going through a storm. Just picture that image for you if you can. Just imagine you're on a ship and it's just the, you know, the boats rocking side to side. Waves are splashing over the side. You know I'm, I, I like to imagine myself on old sailing adventures all the time, right? So I'm just imagining sailors are running this way and that way and they're climbing up, getting the rigging right and you're just holding on for dear life, okay? That's what this is saying. Hold on for dear life because if you let go, you might get swept away into God knows where. So hold on, cling to it. Hold fast to what? the confession of our hope. We have to cling to our confession. We have to guard our confession. We have to protect our confession. Now, what is our confession? Our confession are those things that we say as Christians we believe. That's your confession. We oftentimes in this church will say the Apostles' Creed together. It's a classic Christian creed statement that kind of summarizes a lot of the historic teachings of Christianity. Who is God? Who are we? What is the gospel? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That same language is used there. Our confession is what we say outward. It's not only what we believe internally, but it's what we proclaim outward. That confession that you made in the presence of many witnesses, okay? It's what you say you believe about life. Now, let's just talk about this for a second. In our current cultural moment, the Christian confession is under attack from every single angle. And it's harder and harder and harder for the average Christian to maintain the protection of their confession of faith. It's hard. And I'm with you in that. It's more and more difficult every day to say, this is what I believe and I'm not wavering. Not an inch. And I know it's true because God said it And his way is certainly better than the world's way. It's harder and harder and harder. And we have to train ourselves and practice this together of holding fast the confession of our faith. There is a war taking place over ideas, not only for your hearts, but for all of our children's hearts, as we have all our kids in those classrooms back there. There's a war for our kids' hearts as well. And they need grown-ups who hold fast the confession of their faith so they can see a bunch of grown-ups who truly know and love Jesus. There's a war over ideas. What is marriage? Many of these we've already covered in 1 Corinthians. There's a war over this. What is sexuality? What is government? What's the role of government? What's a man or a woman? When does a fetus become a human? What's the role of a parent? What place does God have in society? What centrality should the church have in shaping society? What standard do we use to... Weigh whether a law is just or unjust. What's a pastor? How do Christians behave? See, see, these ideas, it sounds controversial to say some of them, right? Why is that? Because there's a war over those ideas. And here's what we have to do: we have to hold fast the confession of our faith. And we need to be trained to actually know what the confession is. If we don't know the answers to those questions, then how can we hold fast the confession? And here's the thing. A lot of us, what the, what, one of the things the war for ideas has done in, in modern culture is it's convinced us that the Bible doesn't actually have clear answers on those questions. That's a lie. That is not true. The Bible is unwaveringly and certainly clear on all of those issues and every issue. We don't have to ask what God's vision is for any of those topics. We know But for many of us, what we need to do is return back to the word of God and stop getting our our worldview from Twitter and start getting our worldview shaped by God's word and then clinging to it and holding to it. And even when the world says that thing you believe is evil, saying, I know you think that, but you're wrong. It's actually love. This this is the way of love. It's Jesus. His way is better than any other way. Hold fast. Hold fast. This is my passion as a pastor. Can I just tell you this? I just If you're in here and you're looking for a church, I just want you to know one of my passions is to help you navigate this war of ideas and to do that by taking deep, rich theology and making it as simple and clear and accessible and as maintainable as possible for the average Christian who's very busy with all the different parts of their life, but to take all the fullness of scripture and help you access it so that you can think rightly. We developed a whole thing called the academy, This is a series of classes. You've heard me talk about this many times, but let me make sure you know what this is. The Academy is a series of classes. We've got a new class actually starting this Wednesday night called Spiritual Formation. It's gonna be 10 weeks long. We're gonna gather together. Many are already registered for this, from across the city are registered for this. And we're gonna learn how do you actually develop your soul? How do you make sure that you're growing closer to Jesus, not just going through the motions? 10 weeks learning what does it mean to fast? How do you pray? How do you study the Bible? Spiritual formation. Last week, I taught a class called The Confident Christian. How do we know the Bible is true? What's the evidence for this? Right? It's a series of classes that you can take on Wednesday nights. Now, here's what we've also done. We know schedules are busy. We've also moved all of this online. So there's no excuses here. If you want to grow, we've put all the discipleship tools at your fingertips. What you can do is you can take one other person, let's say you want to learn more about theology. I mean, I really want to renew my mind, I want to think rightly, I want to know more theology. We have two separate classes on systematic theology that come with full lectures, reading, material, and discussion questions for you to do at home with another person. We've put them all, we put them at your fingertips. Why? Because there's a war for ideas. And, and the best thing we can do as a church is equip you to think rightly so that you can have a confidence and approach with full assurance. We've got to commit to renewing your, our minds. Let me ask you, when you think of the investments you're making in your life, are you investing time in this? You know, we all invest our time somewhere. Are are you intentionally saying there is a war taking place? How do I sharpen my mind so I can engage this well, like a good soldier, as scripture calls us to? Is that an investment you're making? If not, this is a good time to turn. There's lots of opportunities coming up. Lastly, keep this one short. We invest in sanctifying relationships. We invest in sanctifying relationships. Verse 24. Oh, I lost my page. Hebrews 10, 24, reads this. And let us consider how to stir one another up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stir one another up. I love that language. We took a vacation over winter break to the beach with my children. And, you know, when the waves crash and the water all gets stirred up and it's, all, you know, the sand and the shells and it's white water right there, that's what we're supposed to be doing for one another. We're like waves crashing on it, just stirring it all up. Because when the water just sits sedentary, nothing moves, nothing's happening. And so we got to come together regularly and stir each other up to what? To love and to good works. Now, this means that we're to take responsibility for one another. You know, these one and other passages in scripture are really meaningful. We should do a sermon series just on the one and other passages. But in this room, your, this Sunday morning is not about you. It's, it's about the person you're sitting next to. And your presence here is required to shape the person next to you. Because when you come into this room, here's what's happening. You're coming in and you're thinking, man, I've had a busy week. I've had a hard week. I got these things weighing on me and I want to be ministered to. And that's good. And I want that for you as well. But what you don't realize is that God's brought you here to be a minister to other people who are going through the same thing, if not worse than you are right now. And so it says, don't forsake to meet together. So number one, that means you got to be here. You you can't miss. If If you choose not to be here, It's saying you don't need to be stirred up by others and you don't need to stir anyone else up. It's just about you. But when you come together and you come into this place and you start stirring each other up, you give each other ideas, you check on each other, you ask, Are you investing in people? Are you caring for one another? How is your soul? How's your time with the Lord? And what happens when a group of people are passionate about that together, about accountability with one another? about really checking in and not just letting people miss a few weeks in a row and not saying, where have you been? Are you okay? Is everything okay in your life? When you get passionate about that, you get a community that's so salty that the world doesn't know what to do with it. It's so contagious. People want to be a part of it. Even if they don't know about Jesus yet, what's gotten into this community? So let me do this for you right now. Let me stir you up to love and good works. We're together. Let's, let's let the waves crash, okay? Here's a good one that you can do. If you've been at this church for a while, you know that we are passionate about adoption. We are passionate. We're passionate about adoption, about foster care, about safe families. In this church building right now, there are a number of children that have come through any one of those three pathways of foster care, safe families, or adoption. That's something this church does very well. I'm so proud of this church. Let me tell you a need we have. Ready for this? Safe Families is an amazing organization that many of you are actually already signed up with to care for children who need short-term placement, okay? Two weeks, three weeks. Sometimes it's actually longer than that. It can can go a little longer than that. However, usually it's a short-term placement where let's say a mother just needs a little help, needs a little space to get a job or to get something in order. You take a child home with you. Now, a handful of you are already signed up to be safe families. Here's an even easier one for you. The only people who can babysit for a family who's a safe family in this church are those that have been certified by Safe Families. And can I tell you they need babysitters? Because when you take a child in for a short, even if for three weeks, you're bringing a lot of responsibility into your home. You have check-ins, you have people, you're busy, and then you, you, you don't get a break, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. In about a month, I actually, I wish I had the date for you right now, um, but I don't have the exact Sunday. But at the end of January, we're gonna have a Sunday where for one hour, if you wanna get certified to be a Safe Families babysitter, so, at any given time, anyone who is actually doing the work of being a safe family and caring for children in need in this city can have a break, even for two hours. You're ready and on the call. If you want to get certified, come to the class. We're going to get it all done. See what I'm doing right now? Waves are crashing, right? The waves are crashing. The white water is going. I'm stirring you up to what? To love. I can't think of a better way to love. And to good works. One of the classic ways Christians have shown the world what Christianity is all about caring for orphans and children in need. That's our legacy. It's your legacy. Stir one another up to love and good works. Three investment strategies. What are they? Number one, we invest in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Get intentional. Number two, we invest in the renewal of your mind. Don't let the culture win your mind. Invest in shaping and sharpening your mind per God's word. And number three, you invest in sanctifying relationships. Don't waste your life. Let's pray. Father, We love you. We thank you. God, thank you for this sweet little passage today to kick off a new year. I pray this for myself first and foremost as I need to be reminded of this to keep investing in the right way. But I pray this for all of us in this room that we would be those who don't waste our life, who recognize the sweetness and the goodness of the gospel and chase after you with discipline, with diligence. God, anywhere in this room, for anyone who has just feeling right now that that conscience inside of them, weighing on them as they're thinking about these ways to invest well and they're thinking i haven't been investing well i've been i've been prioritized incorrectly or i've been letting culture seep into my heart my mind Or i've been behaving improperly or impurely jesus i pray right now for healing in the name of jesus I pray right now for anyone who's just holding on to a guilty conscience that they would experience the freedom in Jesus Christ of a clean conscience because Jesus paid their debt on the cross and we have full access to access the throne of grace with boldness right now in Jesus' name. Would you, I pray that they would almost feel the weight coming off their shoulders as we pray these prayers. Oh God, I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this church family. Build this church, we pray. This is your church, it's no one else's. Pray in Christ's name, amen.